welcome to the Datebook Podcast. I'm your host, theater critic Lily Janik. Bay Area theater audiences might know Christian Kajigal best from his work at the Exit Theater, where he's an artist-in-residence with a unique blend of magic show and one-man storytelling. But tourists and SF history buffs might know the Bay Area native best from San Francisco Ghost Hunt Walking Tour, in which Kajigal guides visitors past some of the most haunted, or at least most storied, Victorian mansions of Pacific Heights. We talked to Kajigal today about some of his favorite stories from the tour, whether ghosts are real, what makes a good ghost story, and most importantly, how to catch a ghost in medias haunt. So welcome, Christian. Hi. And we're here to talk about the SF Ghost Hunt walking tour today. Mm-hmm. Now this long predates your involvement, this tour, correct? It predates my ownership. Oh, ownership. Not well, just involvement, really. Ownership. <laughs> Get true. it right. I'm a business owner now. Um, full on adulting. Yeah, it, uh, it was created 20 years ago uh, by my friend Jim Fassbinder. Uh, we knew each other uh, from the local magic scene. And uh, he wanted something where he could kind of perform and play with his love of spooky magic tricks and stories and ghost stories and taking ghost tours around the world. And, and, uh, and he had his own experiences when he was a kid that he would sometimes talk about. And, and so he thought to himself, I, I should totally do a ghost tour. And mind you, at the time, ghost tours weren't a thing yet. Now they're in every small town oh, across really? the U. Oh, gosh, yeah. Oh. Totally. If you type in ghost tour, whatever the state, you're going to find a ghost tour. Um, well, so yeah, so he he started, and I and I came on board, sort of helping him craft it a little bit with my experience in theater and storytelling. Oh, so you were involved like earlier on yeah. than when you took over. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, so I, I I helped him with that. I helped him create the tour and formulate it, and play consultant on some of the the magic that happened on the tour, and did research for him sometimes. You know, I'd run off to the archival room of the main library and get to hunt for characters in San Francisco history and. And, and learn their learn their stories and old books from the 1800s and clippings and whatnot. And, but yeah, he ran it five, six, sometimes seven nights a week for the better part of 17 years. Oh, my goodness. And and uh, he, he realized it was, after the first year, he realized, I have to quit my day job because it was going so well. And then a few years ago, he was like, hey, Christian, I'm turning 70 soon and I want to retire. And I'm all like, you know, I'm turning 40 and I'm in theater. I need stability. <laughs> And surprisingly, <laughs> ghost stories are more stable than being in theater. <laughs> and well, yeah, I mean, he actually quit his j- day, day job. job. Yeah, uh, I, but like that's a joke. Don't quit your day job. But he, he quit, quit his, his day, day job. job. Yeah. Wow. When that's was that that you uh, took over? Uh, 2015 or 2016. Okay, and. So if you were already involved in helping him shape it and stuff, it must not have been a huge transition. Yeah. Like I you mean, probably didn't have to like study up and cram on ghost lore. Right. Like I knew the stories already and I had costume pieces and I knew the route and I knew the tour very well. Jim and I are still close friends. I will still text him randomly saying, this just happened. How do I handle this? You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I'll get his wizened advice. And at the same time, I'm, I'm just making it up as I go along. Now, when you were doing, I guess, that initial research just to help Jim create the tour years ago, 
What were some of your favorite stories you learned or characters you encountered? Oh, gosh. And, Um, you know, you don't have to give it all away because, of course, we want people to come to the tour itself. But if you even just a little taste would be awesome. Right. Um, One of my favorites uh, is um, the Atherton Mansion on uh, on the corner of California and Octavia. It is now a bunch of apartments. It's been that way for, I guess, 30, 40 years now. But it was built by uh, the Atherton family, as in... Uh, Atherton, California? Exactly. Um, that is a fancy place. It is a very fancy place. I'll bet its mansion is fancy also. Uh, I've never been inside. But from the outside? From the outside, it is huge, enormous. Ooh. Um, oh, yeah. Um, and it's weird, because it almost looks like a skull from it. Kind of like the way the stairs come down. I'm sure the landlord likes this, that I'm saying this. But <laughs> the way the stairs come down and these two glass windows and the, and the double doors in the front... <laughs> oh. In the middle of the night, kind of has this teeth and eyes sort of like oh. look to it. Um, oh, that's perfect. Yeah, um, but it was so. Yeah, so, the town of Atherton was if you want me to nerd out for a second. Uh, and the, I do. The the town of Atherton was originally called Fair Oaks way back when, and then eventually became Atherton, named after the family of Faxon Dean Atherton. He was conducting a lot of business in back and forth between San Francisco and Chile, and that was not an uncommon thing to be happening in the 1800s. He marries a Chilean woman named Dominga, and she was known for bearing, for being very petite and having a very strong personality. You never mess with Dominga Atherton. Okay. They had many children. One of them was named Jorge, but of course it's the 1800s, so he was, he was called George. <laughs> and the legend is the, the, that, that he was kind of the, the lazy one. They, they try and set him up with like jobs and running his own business and everything. he just let everything crumble away. It sounds like he was kind of messing with Dominga then. Uh, probably that too. He might have been deliberately uh, sticking it to mom by like, I'm not going to be so ambitious, you know. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But uh, he meets a young Gertrude Franklin Horn. She okay. was grandniece of Benjamin Franklin. Oh, well. Uh, she went out to school in Benicia for a while. George starts first hitting on mom. Whoa. I know. He was George. in his mid-20s. Mom might have been in her early 40s at this point, I think. I hope I'm not making that fact up. Um, uh, on a Chronicle podcast. But he starts hitting on her mom first. That doesn't work out. Starts hitting on teenage Gertrude. <laughs> proposes to her like five or six times. Turns him down all except for the last time when she finally is like, fine, let's get married. And they do. And she kind of regretted it. <laughs> And, and um, But they have their family. They have their children. Many years pass. George has cousins in from Chile. Naval officers are going to go back out to sea the next day. He's getting all drunk and getting all brave with his statements like, I'm going to go out there and be a sailor man with my cousins, right? <laughs> Impressive, George. Exactly. I'm so impressed. <laughs> and, and then he, he goes off. But he wakes up the next morning all sober, and he's all like, oh, no, I was kidding, Gertrude. I was drunk. I was totally sick. It's a terrible idea. I'm going to get sick and die. And there's different interpretations to this line. But her, what she said was, you know, if you know it was good for you, you'd stay here and make a man out of yourself. Oh. And so he went on the ship. Oh. And some say that was her saying, stay here. And others say, no, that was reverse psychology. She went him the hell out of the house. I tend to go with that interpretation. Ooh, but I love the ambiguity. Yes. But she was, I, I'm thinking from her personality, she was like, she yeah. was smart enough to see, like, get, get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Go to him a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. And so he does. He gets kidney stones. 
<laughs> he, this is such a glamorous ghost story. Such a, and and all good ghost stories are not are not glamorous. Hopefully. Oh, okay. Um, okay. This almost isn't gruesome enough to be a, a really good haunted story. But so he gets the kidney stones. They can't do much all about it on a ship in the Pacific in the late 1800s. The doctor's giving him morphine, and between the pain and the too much morphine to kill the pain of the kidney stones, they couldn't do anything about. He dies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's three months into the trip. Mm-hmm. Gertrude doesn't know any of this. Oh, man. Now, this entire time, Gertrude is partying and having a good time being a free woman. Yeah, she got that guy out of the house. Exactly. Go, and, Gertrude. Right? So, legend has it, and I, and I make sure that on the tour, I really punch now, legend has it. <laughs> oh, I forgot to say that to preserve his body... They stuck him in a barrel of rum to ship him home. <laughs> That's what you did, right? And unless you were an officer, then you were being tipped over the edge of the ship as a burial at sea. But other than that, they got to ship you home in a barrel of whiskey or rum. So the legend is that one night, a barrel of rum was delivered for one of these parties at Gertrude's place. At the Atherton. And they crack it open. And oh inside gosh. they discover the, George dead in a barrel of rum. Oh, my gosh. Now, we are on a Chronicle podcast, so I will give you what's more than likely the true story, which is no, they, he was shipped, and they sent a note to the house, and they're like, look, your husband is dead. And Either way, he still came home in a barrel of rum. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, so, but the party version is so much better. It's so much better. <laughs> and it's a ghost tour, so I'm allowed a little leeway, but I try and... I try and always make sure, like, I try and tease apart fact and fiction throughout the tour whenever possible. And and at the very least, I say, look, this is legend, what I'm about to tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it is a ghost tour. Part of a ghost tour is I got to give you the legends of a city, not <laughs> not always. It sounds terrible. Not always the facts. Some legend. There have been reports ever since then, stories of George and, after she passed away, Gertrude uh, haunting the place. Actually, Gertrude, Dominga... Um, Carrie Rousseau, who was a landlord after after the Athertons, uh, who cut it up into a bunch of apartments, and she was sort of the, the known for being the kooky cat lady, who had like 30, 40, 50 cats in one apartment at some point. <laughs> and and I've actually had people who live in the building, like parking right by the tour. Right as I'm, I was as I'm with a group and giving the tour, the tour, someone will like park right there in front of us. And step out and like, oh, is this the ghost tour? I'm like, oh yeah, and and they say, and they say, oh yeah, this place is totally haunted. <laughs> or or they say like, it's like you know, it has a very strong female spirit. Or I've been told that men don't last in the building as long as women do. Man, <laughs> and, this and is, you're you're not like slipping these people fives and tens no, to like no. enhance the experience. No, and it's great because these things do happen ran- These things do happen randomly, and it just like I. I'm not there to make things up. I'm not trying to make anything up on the tour. Do you know how Dominga at all, like what their haunting consists of? Is it a particular kind? Usually, it's. it seems like it's usually George rattling things and knocking on doors. Okay. And legends have it that it's Gertrude and Dominga like running around catching George. Like, stop that. You're being annoying. <laughs> but uh, I mean, there's one story. I can't remember if Jim got this from the couple who lived there at the time. And or it was reported in the Chronicle like back in the late 90s. I think it was both uh, because the tour started in the late 90s. There was a couple who lived in one of the, I think, upstairs apartments. They were having a fight and they're about to go to bed angry. And then their car starts going off outside. 
Back then, car alarms were even more sensitive and useless, right? So it's like, bah, 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 bah. <laughs> it's the middle of the night. It's cold. The husband has to come downstairs by himself. He's like popping open the hood and ripping up wires. He's, he can't get the horn to stop. He sits down behind the wheel and says in complete defeat, All right, Gertrude, I'll go upstairs and I'll apologize. <laughs> and it stopped. Whoa. The horn stopped. All, all right, all right. So so Gertrude like is kind of maybe protecting some of, or sticking up for some of the female tenants? I think so. And I'm speaking as a skeptic and an atheist who runs a ghost tour going, I don't have an explanation for you, but that sounds good to me. Okay, so I did want to ask Christian, do you mm. believe in ghosts? I want to believe in ghosts. Why? Because it sounds like an awesome idea. The afterlife doesn't sound like a bad place. <laughs> um, being stuck in limbo as a ghost doesn't sound as fun. And when I was a kid, I was super into... Wait, are you saying that when you believe in ghosts, it makes the afterlife se seem like less of a bad place? Is that what you were saying? No, I mean, it. It the promise of an afterlife sounds wonderful. Oh, okay. And I would love to have it. Okay. But I don't believe in it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When I was a kid, I was super into, uh, you know, like unsolved mysteries or reruns of Arthur C. Clarke's World of Strange Powers on Old Discovery Channel, things like that, because I love the idea of, well, what if these things are real? Or maybe if ghosts aren't real, maybe there's some other weird scientific explanation for why these phenomenon happen. But you watch enough of those shows and it's like, mm, it's kind of always the same story. Is it? It's always the same story. It's always like vague image in a photograph. Mm -hmm. Something makes a sound on a recording and you can't tell what it is. And even today, that's sort of what those shows still are. I still enjoy them, but it's still what they are. How do you make sure that your stories don't fall into that narrative? Or do they? Is it just... I at least try and give you like the better reportings. <laughs> Right, the ones that are a little more interesting and juicy, and I mean, I, I I get people who send me photographs from the tour, and and I kind of go, oh, that's okay, you know. I mean, if they really have something, <laughs> I want them to send it to me, and I want to encourage. I don't want to discourage people from sending me stuff. So uh, sometimes they'll show me right there on the tour. Oh, look at this and look at that, and and even on the tour, I'll be like, well, that could be a this, and that could be just a lens flare, and the... but other times weird stuff just does happen on the tour. Yeah, what what's the closest you've gotten to believing, since you do want to believe, but you're a skeptic? Okay, so we used to start inside of this hotel. Um, the hotel does not wish to be a part of the tour anymore. We, we're not there anymore, so I will not mention their name out of respect to them. But a slight search for the, on the tour, and you'll find which hotel it was. So there's one hotel that used to be on the tour. It used to be a school for girls. Um, and it said that the headmistress still takes care of the, of the place. The old headmistress will tuck people in at night, that kind of a thing, especially in the room that used to be her office and residence. So... So, like, I, you'll have this feeling of, like, someone kind of taking care of you as you're getting into bed. Sometimes it's that. Sometimes people would wake up in the middle of the night and find a blanket over them tucked in on all sides. Wow. Exactly. When I used to work for Jim, I would give the tour sometimes. And so, yeah, I, I, I would have guests of the hotel come down, see that I'm giving a tour, ask what it is, then say, oh, my gosh, I have a story for you. Right? <laughs> so one day, for fun, I had a friend on the tour 
who had started going to the Berkeley Psychic Institute for classes in self-betterment. That's all he wanted it for. He wasn't trying to be psychic, but he thought that'd be a good place to take these classes. And we thought it'd be fun for him to come on the tour. I wouldn't tell him anything. I would show him all the locations first and see what hits he got. Then we would do the tour and he would see how things matched. I was surprised by what he didn't get right, but I, I was also surprised by what he did get right. Mm-hmm. And then we get to the hotel. We start the tour. He doesn't know anything yet. He's about to hear it for the first time. And we would go upstairs to the haunted room. Now, sort of hard to explain over the radio, but I would count heads to make sure I had enough money collected, right? As everybody walked in through the door of the room. So I go, you'd be like, ticking one, two, three, four, five, five kids, four adults, da, da, da. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm holding the door open. And it's an old Victorian hotel, but the lighting has been redone. The, the place has been rewired. The light starts flickering in this room like mad. I mean, at full off and on, off and on, off and on. It has never done that before, at least not with me. Everyone thinks it's me, the ghost tour guide, messing with the light switch yeah, behind yeah, the door. for sure. And they just can't see me doing it. But the light switch is on the other side of the door. So I think it's some kid messing with it as people are walking by. No one's messing with it. When we all realize that none of us could touch the light switch, all of us start freaking out. And when your ghost tour guy starts freaking out, everyone starts freaking out. <laughs> That's a good rule of thumb. <laughs> if the ghost tour guide on a ghost tour starts freaking out, you should run. <laughs> Bad things are about to happen. But these are those lovely moments where th- something random will happen and it just weirds everybody out. And it's probably just coincidence, but it's a lovely coincidence. And, it, and even I get to feel the magic of ghosts for a while. And, and maybe it was something and maybe it wasn't. But I tell the stories. I let, let everybody calm down. I tell the stories about the room and, and the hotel and the, the headmistress. I say, okay, now I'll meet you all downstairs in five minutes. Bathroom break is now. And everybody leaves the room. It's me and my friend by ourselves in the room. And I say, all right, I got nothing. What you got? And he says the same thing that other psychics had said before about the hotel. And he did not know this because he didn't even know where we were going. He says, I don't think it's the headmistress. I think it's the former students of the school that take care of this place. I think the headmistress visits, but it's the, it's the students of the school that take care of the place. And that 12-year-old girl in the orange jacket, they recognize her, and they were saying hi. And I'm all like, all right, sure. <laughs> we step out of the room. We're at the railing of the stairs. The last folks are walking down the stairs. And there's a little boy at the top of the stairs mouth agape at the light fixture over his head and he looks at us and he says this one just did the same thing too without even looking at each other me and my friend step forward grab onto the railing lean over and the last person who walked by that light was the same 12 year old girl in the orange jacket man I wonder what they recognized about her these ghosts right and you know I don't know what any of that means if it's all just coincidence Mm-hmm. But, but that's what happened. Now, what are the dynamics like for you as more of a skeptic when I'm sure a lot of your um, audience members, mm-hmm. guests, uh, b- believe in ghosts a lot more than you do? Like, what is that like? Um, 
I mention I make a mention in the beginning that I'm much more the skeptic compared to to Jim mm-hmm. um, on the tour, and uh, I say that at the beginning so they kind of know what they're in for. And it's interesting because that that actually makes the believers respect me more because I am open to mm-hmm. the idea, and and I I they know I'm not going to try and BS them. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I mean, even believers of of ghosts who love taking ghost tours know full well all ghost stories may very well have a have some BS in it. It's they're not dumb. Um, they're just because they believe in this doesn't mean that they're dumb about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they have their line of where they believe and don't believe and what they filter as BS or not. But you'd be surprised. There's a lot more skeptics and atheists who love taking ghost tours than you than you might think because they love learning the darker side of the history of a city. Oh, oh, so they're not like there to shut you down or whatever. No. I mean, there's always the, the friend or the girlfriend or boyfriend that's been dragged on a ghost tour. Um, I'll bet they're your favorite folks to have along. They take some warming up, but yeah. they get into it because mm-hmm. it's entertaining. You get some history out of it. You get some fun stories. And because, you know, these days the macabre is so mainstream, right? I mean, the, the, the X-Files seem to like help start this whole wave of nerds who just love weird spooky stuff. They don't have to believe in it, right? So there's a lot more people of different levels of belief who just like taking a ghost tour. It's, I mean, even, I, I think you have to accept that even a ghost tour may very well be an urban legends tour, mm-hmm. which I think is a completely legitimate way to learn about a culture as long as you know what you're in for, as long yeah. as you know that that could be a thing. If I were giving a, you know, Victorian homes tour, I would be giving very different stories. Right. So as far as like the belief, non-belief thing, it's never really been that much of a thing. And everybody seems to appreciate my stance. And I, I will still deliver on the spooky story um, and then throw in some humor and and then try and balance, balance it out with some facts and some point of view. Everybody seems to be on board with me by, by the end of the tour. Now, what makes for a good ghost story? Okay, there's ghost stories, like literature, and then there's haunted places ghost stories. Uh, I am not the expert in the literature ghost story, but first of all, people. This actually, I got this this tidbit from Jim. He said, "People don't take ghost tours for promises of death. They take ghost tours for promises of life." Ooh, what does that mean? Like the gothic, the macabre, the, the gruesome is great. But they want to know that there's many people want to know that there's still something on the other side. Like there, there's something after this. For many people, that's what they want. Or, or like me, they want to believe that's possible, even if they don't believe it's possible. The core audience is is going for that reason. After that, as far as a good ghost story for a, a tour, a some actual facts about an actual uh, about actual people, and then like something eccentric in their way of living. Or and or in the way that they died, and then reports like give me things that people have actually said. Whether they're true or not becomes a different situation to investigate. But these things were said by people; these were their experiences. I think there's like basics. After that, it depends. I mean, some of the some of these stories can be more gruesome than others. I mean, everybody looks for something. Ah, it's a good question that I still wrestle with because everybody seems to also look for something different on a ghost tour. Some people want spills and chills and to be freaked out. But it's a walking tour outside in Pacific Heights. It's like, it's not quite, we're not going to get there. Um, 
Other people want to want to have the promise of the afterlife. They want to be in the place in the presence of of these spirits. And it always seems like haunted places, like ghost stories, uh, there's always the unresolved issue. You know, uh, some somebody who died too young, lovers that never came home, um, fortunes that were won and lost, gruesome murders. You don't see, you don't hear a lot of haunted places of people who just died of natural causes, <laughs> right? I mean, it, it happens. People say, you know, my grandmother died in my house and I still feel her presence. That's one thing. But those don't become the lasting ghost stories that become part of the legends of a city. Some have argued that the best ghost stories, the best haunt, stories of haunted places, it's not just unfinished business for the ghosts, it's unfinished business for the culture. So like Gertrude, she went off to become a young, preeminent feminist writer. Wait, for real? Oh, yeah. Gertrude, you're like, so cool. Like type her name into Amazon and you're going to find her novel still. She, she wrote a successful fictionalized biography of Alexander Hamilton. So I'm guessing Lin-Manuel might have, might have read that for research, right? That had to have happened, right? I think the jury might still be out on whether or not she was that great of a writer. <laughs> but she, she wrote, and it was always like strong, young female who's like going to do whatever the hell she wants, right? And now she's a ghost. And the, the only thing we know about her, there's a plaque that the... The mansion, the former mansion, is on one side of Lafayette Park, just down the hill. On the other side of the park is a plaque in her honor, but it looks like a weird little tombstone. It's on the other side of the park, away from the house. Yeah, um, why'd you get consigned so far away? Right. And and to me that says, yeah, young feminist writer in the turn of the century, turn of the, turn of the 20th century, is now forgotten. Yes, it makes sense that she would be a ghost in our culture right now. Like, we have forgotten her. Another story is Mary Ellen Pleasant, a bit of a controversial figure in San Francisco history. But if you took Marie, the way I describe her, if you took Marie Laveau and Harriet Tubman and rolled them into one, it would be Mary Ellen Pleasant. She should be, like, one of the most important figures that we laud all the time of San Francisco history, and she is, she's been forgotten. And, yeah, you know, this, this black woman who became worth a fortune and helped to lead the Underground Railroad uh, to California. It makes sense that she would still be a ghost right now because we have forgotten her. We have unfinished business with her. Right on. And I've been trying to figure out ways to help reinsert her into uh, the narrative, but uh, I'm one man and I'm not African-American and I don't feel I should be the face of that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would love to spur that on somehow. Yeah. Uh, what makes a good teller of a ghost story? How do you tell them well in a way that sends shivers up and down the spines of your audience? It's a good question. I'm going to sound terrible because um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. Well, I'm... you have a natural voice for it. Thank a- you. As for like all of your artistic endeavors, you have like the voice and the presence Thank you. Um, Which are things we critics are always so bad at describing. He has presence. <laughs> What's presence? Right. What is that? It's just a thing that you, you know, it's an energy that you can feel and see. I don't know. It's sort of like in the good old days where you actually had to dial people's phone numbers. <laughs> it came a point where you just, you couldn't remember their phone number anymore, but you just knew how to dial it. Mm, muscle right? memory? Yeah. It's like, I don't know how to describe how I tell spooky stories. 
I, I've never codified that for myself. I've never studied it. It's just the actor in me. I don't have a smart answer for you. Does it feel different from your your onstage storytelling and your onstage magic shows? Or, or is it really just the same thing and people are walking with you and you're all outside? It's almost the same thing, only because I'm outside and I have to kind of crank up the energy level a bit. It's mm-hmm. a little more like street performing because you have so many distractions with dog walking and traffic and occasionally a homeless person walking by and and these all become things you have to energies you have to mitigate throughout the tour but I still have to try and get to the same place which is how intimate can I make it whether I'm playing to people at the back of a 200 seat theater or on a loud street and how willing I am to make you feel uncomfortable while I'm telling the story (laughs) right because that's that's where it's at you got to feel uncomfortable and then you start getting the chills, right? I don't know how to describe how I do that. I think part of it is I, whether it's a storyteller, acting, doing magic, I'm trying to feel it myself. And I'm, I'm trying to almost perform it for myself and feel it myself or what's the feeling I want them to feel? What's the feel I want to feel? Okay, great. That's the feeling. Now I try and put that out there. Mm-hmm. That sounds so frilly, hokey, hokey. Well, no, I think part of uh, what gives me the delightful heebie-jeebies when I'm at a Christian show is first just your kind of relentless focus. Mm. Like you are not going to let me go as an audience member. Mm-hmm. You're you're not going to ha-ha, laugh it off, right. or divert that energy for even a millisecond. Mm-hmm. And that in and of itself starts getting me in a slightly uncomfortable place. Usually right. a pleasantly uncomfortable one. <laughs> right, right. Usually. Right. There was that time when you pulled me on stage, Christian. Did I pull you on stage? <laughs> Before I knew you were the reviewer? <laughs> it, w- it was great, actually. Yeah? Yeah. I have a not-so-secret uh, love of the audience myself. <laughs> Do you have any tips for people who want to be having more supernatural experiences, who want to feel the presence, who want to see the flashes of light more often? I mean, it sounds hokey. Be open to it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, trying, it's trying to like have that level head, but being open to it. The tools that you could use are already in your iPhone. You can use the voice memo app and record. You can take photographs. What I recommend is, um, and people want to take audio recordings, in the good old days, you had to have a tape recorder, you know, an old magnetic tape, put it in the room, let it record the whole night or until the tape runs out, and then you come back the next day and you got to listen to this whole tape, hoping for any la- weird little like that appears on the tape is, a, is the voice of someone. Now I recommend you take the voice memo app, turn it on, plug in the phone, leave it in the room you think might be haunted, and let it go. You're going to have a really huge file in the, in the morning. <laughs> Uh, you make sure have, you have space on your phone, make guys. Sure you space on your phone. But you can then go through that file. You can just because if you ever use the voice memo app, it's it's got the the graph line going of uh, of audio, right? You can see the like a, I call it like the Richter scale thing where you can see yeah, the yeah, line. Yeah. Right. So just scroll through that until you see the spike in the sound. So basically, what I'm hearing is that the whole purpose of modern technology is to hunt ghosts. Yeah, yeah, yeah to make it a little bit easier. This That's is really great. what Steve Jobs is was doing with the iPhone is helping us all look for ghosts. So uh, one final question. Mm. 
Why is it that ghosts seem to haunt Pacific Heights more than, say, Broadmoor, the um, unincorporated area uh-huh. of Daly City right. inside Colma, where you are from? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, what? Why? Why Pack Heights? Or are there ghost stories everywhere, and we just gravitate towards the ones there? There's ghost stories everywhere. Um, that was just happened to be a, a good cluster of stories that. When Jim was researching, he found like that neighborhood had the, had the biggest cluster. And as a smart man trying to create a walking tour, he thought that's the place to run the tour. It's like kind of like Pack Heights, quote unquote, Lower Pack Heights, Japantown, that area. But my guess is part of the reason why there's such a good cluster there to begin with. Oh, wow. A few reasons, I guess. First of all, that's the side of the city that did not burn down after the 06 earthquake and fire. We all think the whole place burned down. No, they just took pictures of the part that burned down. Like, the eastern half on the eastern side of Van Ness, that burnt down. The western half was pretty fine. That's also where all, that was the old money. That's where all the old mansions were. And, you know, let's be real, uh, rich people get to have their stories recorded. Mm-hmm. Right? Poor people don't get to have their stories recorded. And then, you know, rich people in the Victorian era of San Francisco have crazy stories. <laughs> it's, you know, they were doing whatever the heck they wanted. <laughs> They were building however they wanted, and they were living as extravagantly as they wanted, and everybody talked about them, and the focus was on them. We were interested in them in life, and so we should be interested in them in death also. Right. Right. For listeners who might want to take the Mm -hmm. ghost tour, the SF Ghost Hunt walking tour, just Mm -hmm. to use the full name, Mm -hmm. uh, you've got some dates right now, December 26th through the 30th. Yes. And then you'll have some more dates in February. Yeah, the... Most of the 2019 schedule is already up on, right. the, on the Book Now button on, on the website. And that address is? sfghosthunt.com. Ooh, listen to that enunciation. sfghosthunt.com. <laughs> and tickets are $20? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us in the Chronicle podcast recording studio. Thanks. It's so exciting to be here in the, in the spooky catacombs of the Chronicle building. You see that voice? Or Sorry, you don't see it. You hear that voice, listeners? This is a man who can lead. See my voice. <laughs> oh, my God. See my voice. <laughs> Close your eyes and see my voice. <laughs> this is what coming off of a cold can do. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty. Wow. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Christian. <laughs> Thank you. This show is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Our theme music is by Stephen Boyle. This show is produced by me. For more theater coverage, you can follow me on Twitter at Lily Janik. Check out all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com. Mm-hmm.